Okay, I'm glad you're here. What, what is ego and do I have to get rid of my ego? We have this concept in Torah called bittel. Bittel is often translated as self-nullification. So what does that mean to make myself disappear? And the, the main distinction that I want to make is self-esteem versus ego. A lot of times this gets lost, especially in English Torah translations. The rabbis who are writing often hundreds of years ago assume that you understand the difference between self-esteem and ego. But that's really not the case today. We, we live, as Rabbi Tversky has written so poignantly about, we live in an age where there's an absolute crisis of self-esteem. And as a result, these clarifications need to be made very explicit. So, so just as a public service, if you will, I really want to explain the difference between ego, which we aren't supposed to have, and we're going to define that in a moment, and self-esteem, which we absolutely must have. That is the engine for all positive activity in this world. So what is this dreaded ego? You know, I think part of the problem just sociologically is that Freud used ego and it meant sense of self. So I think that's where a lot of the trouble begins in terms of our confusion between the difference between self-esteem and ego. So again, self-esteem is something that we need. You have to consider yourself worthy. You have to consider yourself even great. And why? Maybe you say, well, I didn't do anything. But the fact that you even exist is testimony to your greatness. And what I mean by that is that you only exist because you have a soul and a soul is a piece of God. You have a piece of God in you. Now that's, that's actually outrageous. That's actually outrageous. There's an aspect of the infinite one inside of you. So even if you've done nothing that you consider especially worthwhile in your entire life, which would be judging yourself very harshly, by the way, because everyone's done like very good things, whether they acknowledge it or not, or whether they're aware of it or not. You know, there's a, a famous story that was going around a few years ago. And there was a big donor in Dallas and he gave like a lot of money. I don't, I don't know how much, but you know, hundreds of thousands or perhaps millions of dollars to, to build this Jewish center. And while he was at the dedication of the building or whatever it was, he told the following story. He said he went to the, the Western Wall, the Kotel in, in Jerusalem, Judaism's holiest site. And he saw a chassid, right? A Hasidic man, you know, in front of the wall, just praying his heart out with such devotion and such depth and such sincerity that this man watching that man pray was so inspired that he said, I have to do something for the Jewish people. I have to do something to, to, to keep our people alive, to keep this movement going. And so he made this dedication in Dallas when he returned home. Okay, so what's the story? The story is that this chassid is going to go up after 120 years. He's going to go up to heaven and they're going to say, and this is your reward for the dedication 
of the of the Jewish Center in Dallas. <laughs> and he's going to say, what are you talking about? I've never left Israel before in my life. I, Dallas? Not only haven't I been to Dallas, I've never been to America. And they're going to go, no, 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 no. You inspired this person who did that. So in other words, what I'm trying to say is, is that all of us have done more than we realize. And sometimes I've had this experience. I'm on a lot of email lists, as I'm sure all of you are as well. And I've gotten like an email to like some spiritual event or whatever it is, some Jewish event. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes I'll forward it to someone who I don't think is on that list. And I've heard back, wow, you know, that was the greatest experience and this, that, and the other thing. And I thought to myself, what did I do? I literally just pressed forward. You know, so so we don't know the consequences of our activities. And let me just make the point even stronger, just in case you're not getting it yet. Sociologists today have documented this, and it's actually very intuitive, so there's nothing shocking here, but just to know that this is now in the realm of science, not just, you know, casual observations, which is that moods are contagious. Moods. Not, we're not talking about viruses. We're not talking about COVID right now. Just moods are contagious. Meaning to say, if you're in a bad mood, the people who you interact with can catch your bad mood, right? Like, for instance, if you're in a bad mood and you are, like, really cutting or sarcastic or, or yell at someone, they, in turn, may go into their next meeting or into the office and treat someone else the same way that you just treated them. This is what I'm saying, that moods are contagious. So you actually, by being in a bad mood, that's actually a very dangerous place to be. Because maybe you're not going to do anything bad, but you're going to do something to someone else who is going to trigger something very negative in the world. Right? Now, let me give you the other side of that. Let's say you just have a smile on your face. And let's say you're just walking down the street and someone drives by and sees your smile and they smile. (laughs) And now they say something positive to someone else because you put them in a good mood. And that person goes, you know, I've been putting off this email. I've been putting off this phone call. And then all of a sudden, positive events start rolling out in their life. This is real. And this is happening all the time. So all of us are doing good things. All of us have to have a very healthy self-esteem. Even if you're not doing anything, know that you've got a piece of God inside of you. And God obviously thought enough of you to invest of himself in you. Right? So God is the ultimate businessman, among other attributes, and he's only going to make an investment in something that he thinks is worthy, right? So, so just by virtue of the fact that you're alive means that you're worthy, or that there's hope for you at the very least, right? Because we say where there's life, there's hope. So just by virtue of the fact that you're alive, there's hope. Okay. So what's ego? Ego is is something negative. And let me define it the following way. In the context of Torah, 
Ego is when you ascribe power to yourself that you don't have. I'm going to say it again. Ego is when you attribute actions in this world, things that are happening in your life, to your own power that you don't have. In other words, you're taking the realm of God, what God is really doing, and you're going, no, 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 that's, that's because of me. That's because of me. Okay. So now we have to get into this a little bit deeper because we're doing this all the time for the most part. And how do I avoid this situation? In other words, let's say I, I want to have good self-esteem. I believe that I'm worthy. And I don't want to start attributing things that belong to God to myself. Well, okay, give me some kind of practical guideline because that's a little abstract for me. How do I apply this? Okay, so I'm going to give you the tool. And it comes from another great foundational thought that when I, I learned this, this is for, for me, this was a life-changing thought. And this is very much Torah that I'm telling you, which is that we are responsible for the effort, not the results. The results are in the hand of God. But that doesn't mean we can't try as hard as we possibly can all of the time. After 120, we will be judged on how much effort we put in. And, and that will be an x-ray of our hearts. How much did you try? How much did you genuinely, genuinely try? Now, here's the thing. You can try very hard and not succeed. But if you didn't succeed, that's God's business. He's only looking to you to try. Which means that if you tried your hardest, you are a success. The outside of it, forget about what America says, forget about what the world says. If you tried your hardest, you are 100% a success at that activity and you won. I, I heard on a radio show something interesting. We all want to encourage our children and we all want to you know, strengthen their self-esteem and, and make them into the best people they can be. That's very, very important. But they were saying, don't use this word for your kids. You ready? Smart. Now, as a Jewish parent, you, you would take great pride in your children being smart. So that might be a word that you use quite a bit. But let me just break it down for you and listen to why using the word smart can actually have negative repercussions. You see, if you've got a, a reasonably good brain, right? Ab above average intelligence. I'm not talking about being like a scholar right now. But if you're even like pretty smart, okay? You should ace elementary school, <laughs> okay? That's kind of what it is. Like, elementary school should not be that hard for you. Okay, so what I'm trying to say is, imagine this worst-case scenario. 
and this happens all of the time, which is that a child doesn't study at all, and then a child brings home an A in elementary school, and you go, oh, you're so smart. And then they bring home another A. Oh, you're so smart, but they didn't work at all. You send the message that I don't have to work. Now, here's where the problem happens. At a certain point, you do have to work. And now you don't have the muscles to work. You don't have the the culture to work. You don't have the self-discipline to work because you're just used to getting A's and getting rewarded. So everyone hits a wall. The biggest geniuses can fly through college and graduate school and all the rest. Okay, 99% of us are not in that category. At a certain point, you hit a wall where you have to work to understand the material. And the key is, is that when your child or when you hit that wall, you have to be prepared with the work ethic to put in the time to get past that wall. And the only way that you're going to have that work ethic is if that was nurtured inside of you from the time that you were young, ideally. So let me boil it down to to something very simple. When I learned this, I would tell my kids, I would rather you get a low grade and work hard than get an A and not work at all. You know, I really tried to discredit the idea of getting an A without having worked. Because that might be nice in the moment, but if you're a parent, you're thinking long term. You know, your kid is a long term investment. You want him to be able to get going when the going gets tough. Right? Because look, let me put it this way when they're 25, no one cares if they got an A in fifth grade math. <laughs> no one is going to be saying, oh, follow me to the corner office of our executive suite. <laughs> no, no one is going to bring up that A in fifth grade math. Okay, I think that you get the point, but, but I want to go, go deeper and return back to sort of the here and now with, with you and me. How do I avoid ego? How do I avoid attributing power to myself that I don't have? By understanding that all results are from God and that the only important thing for me is the realm that he's given me to work on, which is effort. If I can keep that distinction in my mind, then I will protect myself from ego. Sometimes it gets tricky because sometimes God blesses you and you do something that has real success in the outside world, not just in the inside world where you tried very hard, but you tried very hard and it manifests in a very wonderful way. And then everyone around you wants to tell you how great you are. That's where it starts to get more complicated. So what do you do with that feedback? Everyone's telling me, oh, I'm so this, I'm so that, I did this, I did that. How do I protect myself against that? You know something, I'll tell you something kind of heartbreaking. You know, the Chofetz Chaim is one of our holiest rabbis ever, and he lived about 100 years ago. 
And in his day, he was really treated, you know, appropriately, like the greatest tzaddik, the greatest holy person. At one point, the people he was with wanted to show him honor. And they put him on their shoulders and they started dancing with him. And he was heard to say to himself, what did I do to deserve, to deserve this Gehenna, to deserve this hell? What did I do to deserve this Gehenna? So, you know, that's a, that's an extreme, that's an extreme example. That's an extreme example of what I'm talking about. But sometimes you have to hear an extreme example to make the point, you know? The point was that when everyone's telling you, oh, you did this and you did that, how do you shield yourself from that type of input? Now, remember, keep in mind before I tell you what I'm about to tell you, this important balance that even though you're saying, I'm not responsible for that, you never stop saying, I'm worthy and I'm great (laughs) and I've got an aspect of God inside me. You see, this is the balance. To always feel as though, you know, you're tremendously great, while at the same time understanding that anything that happens is really because of God's kindness. Okay. So here's the antidote. Everyone's going to arm themselves with this, I think. I've done this myself. I only tell you things that I myself am doing, you know. So... So there's a line from the Dominic which goes like this. Ha keter veha kavid lechai olamim. Ha keter, the crown, veha kavid, the honor, lechai olamim, belongs to the one who lives forever, meaning to God. So when praise comes your way, Think these words. So this way, as the honor is coming to you, you're lifting it up and returning it to God. (laughs) You're just redirecting it back to God. This way, you're shielded from it. Because the Yetzirah wants you to believe that it's you. And as I heard Rabbi Green say one time, a very, very frightening thought. The Yetzirah doesn't just want you to sin. It doesn't just want you to do bad. It actually wants to kill you. It actually wants to kill you. So how do you avoid its poison? Well, one way is not to attribute power to yourself that belongs to God. While at the same time, never stop working. See, everything is a balance because this can be misused, what I'm saying. If you don't get this balance right, you go, well, everything's in the hands of God anyway. And if he wants to bless me, he can bless me. So what do I have to work so much for? And then the Yetzirah will turn that thought and try to convince you that it's a mitzvah. I'm being very humble by not working. I am acknowledging the greatness of God by not working. God is the only power. So therefore, my not working is actually a great mitzvah. 
because I'm showing great belief in God. This is how the Yetzirah works. This is how our negative inclination works. It tries to undermine us. And then if we do something right, then it tries to take that right thing and say, well, let's see, how can I reposition it so that I can do a jujitsu flip and, and, and turn it against the person? It's about refining your consciousness to the point where you know when a thought is actually the Yetzirah speaking. And this takes many years of, of real, of real avoda, of real heavenly work, so that you can be able to make these distinctions. And you won't always get it right. You don't always get it right. But you get better at it. You definitely get better at it. And let me give you a, a true story that happened to me that illustrates this point. I think it was last week, maybe it was the week before last. You know, uh, a few years ago, I really started to try to wake up earlier, to try to get uh, work done before I go to the morning prayers, before I go to chakras. So I started waking up at 5.30 in the morning, which if you knew me growing up is like, you got up at what time? <laughs> like, how did you do that? And you did that more than once in your life? Oh, wait, you do that every day? What? Who are you, man? You know, it's there's hope. There's hope for all of us. I'm proof that there's hope. I'm not there yet, obviously. But, but you know, making slow progress. Anyway, what's my point? My point is that, you know, remember, it says on the first page of Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law, page one, Get out of bed in the morning like a lion. You're supposed to get out of bed like a lion. And and I, I try to do that. Occasionally I'm successful. I've I've developed this kavana sometimes where when I crawl out of bed, I say, like a sleepy lion. <laughs> At least it should be in the category of a lion, you know? Okay, a sleepy lion today, but still a lion, you know? I got out of bed. So anyway, what's what's my point? My point is, is that I was lying in bed and, you know, I try not to hit the snooze button, but I think this day I hit the snooze button and I was in between snoozes and I heard this voice in my head. Oh, the bed is so warm. And can I tell you something? I never say that. I never say that. The bed is so warm. And I was like, busted! That's the Yetzirah! I better get out of bed right away! I just heard mom, I caught you dead-handed because I never say that. Oh, the bed is so warm. I never say those words. That was the Yetzirah trying to lull me into this, you know, comatose state where I wasn't going to get out of bed because the bed is so warm. So I'm just giving you this as one small example, one small example of as you become more self-aware. And again, I'm not talking about becoming neurotic. See, here's the problem. So many people hear these ideas and they don't know how to apply them in a wholesome, balanced way. And it's an invitation for neurosis for so many people. 
You, you have to build a solid spiritual foundation where you can hear and integrate ideas like this in a healthy, balanced way. Okay? And, and it doesn't happen immediately. It happens over time. And here's, again, what the Yetzirah wants you to do. It wants you to, to move too quickly in the spiritual realm of self-development. And then when you misapply the idea, then it wants you to get depressed and throw the whole thing away. Or instead of feeling good about yourself, you'll start feeling bad about yourself. And then you'll throw the whole thing away. The Yetzirah is very tricky. It will allow you to have a few wins so then it can start to undermine you afterwards so that you're committed to the path. I had a few wins. I like this. But now it's starting to get dark and ugly and I don't like the way I feel from this. You see, that's now the Yetzirah coming in. So it will say, okay, I'll give you a few wins in exchange for throwing the whole thing away. So a person has to be very, very on guard. I'll tell you something. You know, my, my dad, I've mentioned many times, Oliver Shalom, should rest in peace, he, he was a psychologist. And he told me that one of the, that the condition that he had the least amount of success treating was compulsive gambling. Compulsive gambling is a very horrible affliction. And my father told me that because if you're winning, you can't stop gambling because you're on a winning streak. So the winning positively reinforces more gambling. And if you're losing, you can't stop gambling because your luck has to change. So the losing also positively reinforces more gambling. So whether you're winning or whether you're losing, you're being positively reinforced to keep on gambling. Do you understand the psychology, how hard that is to break? Now, one thing that I've heard in stories just over the years, just, you know, being an interested person, keeping my ears open, is that one story that is very common among compulsive gamblers, people who become compulsive gamblers, is they have a first time or a very early big success. They get a big win and then that completely infects them. And then that triggers a lifetime of losing, basically. You know, occasionally you get a little win along the way. But that big success in the beginning was the Yetzirah's hook into the person so that now, oh, you love that feeling. Oh, that was great, right? Well, follow me. Follow me right into the grave. So you have to be aware of this with, with all things. Sometimes you apply these ideas and now I'm feeling good. And now you have to, so, so let's say you apply it and you don't get it right. You have to be patient with yourself. Okay, I'm human. I didn't get it right. Maybe I'm going a little too fast. Maybe I have to review my previous steps and make those stronger before I make the next step. Okay? So you have to be in conversations with wise people about things like this. There's a Talmudic principle. A person can't get themselves out of their own prison. 
that's a very interesting idea. You can't get yourself out of your own prison. You need someone else. So that's why it's so important to have a friend. You know, Reb Shlomo, I read this. This is not my idea. and But I see the truth of it having been with Reb Shlomo over a period of 18 years. That he sort of, I don't know if you can say he pioneered, but perhaps, perhaps, that he pioneered the idea of Hasidic Rebbe as friend. That's a, it's a different articulation of what a Rebbe classically is, what a Hasidic master classically is. The Rebbe as friend. That's, that's interesting. That's interesting. So basically, you, you need a friend. That's, that's the point. That's the point. And a friend, Chazal, our rabbis, our sages teach, a friend is so valuable that it says, buy a friend. Can you imagine? That's so counterintuitive. But that's how valuable a friend is. That if you need to buy a friend, buy a friend. That's what it says in Pirkei Avot. In fact, I'm always amazed by this, the Lubavitcher Rebbe used that as a source for going to a psychologist. He said, what's a psychologist? That's a friend that you buy. Because <laughs> you pay him to, intru- to listen to your problems. That, that's, that is an example of buying a friend, going to a psychologist. So what would be a practical application of buying a friend? Hey, can I buy you lunch? <laughs> Why not? Why not? Totally kosher. Not only kosher, recommended. Recommended. If you think that this person is, can be a positive influence for you, yeah, pick up lunch. Why not? Okay. So I, I want to go deeper now. Let's just review this, this idea. And, and I'll make it very short and simple. We need to get rid of our egos, but God forbid, don't get rid of your self-esteem. And how do you know how to do that? Because ego is when you attribute power that belongs to God. And we're just responsible for the effort. So just try as hard as you can, work as hard as you can, encourage others to work as hard as you can, And if you do that, you are a success. 100% you are a success. And remember, the results are in the hands of God. And if people want to start praising you and complimenting you for the results, say these words, HaKeter VeHaKavid LeChayolami The crown and the honor belong to God. Just return those compliments straight back up. And then you'll, you'll stay pure. You'll stay pure. 